Hey, you're listening to Guat.Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, Advancing Equilibrium in the Midst of an Agitated World. This is Season 14, Episode 289. Title, Are You a Good Existentialist? Subtitle, The Professor versus the Possessor of Christianity. Northern Exposure was a comedy-drama television show created by Joshua Brand and John Falsey that ran on CBS from July 12, 1990 to July 26, 1995, with a total of six seasons and 110 episodes. On the website moosechick.com, which is a fantastic website for all things Northern Exposure, she reports that Season 2, Episode 5, Spring Break, we find the citizens of Sicily overcome with fits of inexplicable craziness as they anxiously await for the arrival of spring, marked by the breaking of the ice. The first sign of madness is the return of a mysterious kleptomaniac who strikes only during the meltdown each year. While Ed plays amateur detective and tries to track down the thief, the rest of the townsfolk are seemingly out of control. Finally, Ed successfully solves the mystery by observing Chris Stevens the town radio disc jockey, sculptor, ordained minister, though Chris has no specific religion, he catches him stealing a radio out of a truck. Ed shows up at the radio station one evening to confront Chris and had the one question, Chris, why did you do it? To which Chris replies, wildness, Ed. We're running out of it, even up here in Alaska. People need to be reminded that the world is unsafe and unpredictable, and at a moment's notice, they could lose everything snap like that. I do it to remind them that chaos is always out there lurking beyond the horizon. That plus sometimes, Ed, sometimes you have to do something bad just to know you're alive. I can still see the face of John Corbett, who played the character of Chris Stevens, that smile of his when he looks at Ed with kind of a smirk and just says, sometimes you just have to do something bad just to know you're alive. I asked ChatGPT, What school of philosophy would espouse sometimes you have to do something bad just to know you're alive? The viewpoint sounds very familiar, but I just couldn't connect it with any specific philosophical school of thought. The answer chat GPT, the latest rage in the leap into AI technology, uh, the answer that it gives is interesting. The idea that one may have to do something bad to feel alive is not typically associated with any particular school of philosophy as it is not a widely accepted or mainstream idea within philosophical discourse. However, some philosophical perspectives may touch on related concepts. Existentialism is a school of thought that emphasizes individual existence, freedom, and choice. Some existentialists might argue that engaging in actions that are deemed bad or immoral can be a way to assert one's freedom and affirm one's existence. However, this would not necessarily be the same as saying that one must do something bad to feel alive. ChatGPT goes on to write, and it's a written format. It's not YC Wiggy. There's no graphics, but it's a very interesting program. You should check it out. It's free right now. It goes on to write, nihilism is another philosophical perspective that denies objective meaning and purpose in life. Some nihilists may argue that morality is entirely subjective and therefore there is no inherent value or meaning in engaging in good or bad actions. However, This does not necessarily mean that they advocate for actively engaging in bad behavior. It's worth noting that the statement, sometimes you have to do something bad just to know you're alive, is not a morally justifiable statement. 
Engaging in bad behavior can have some serious consequences for oneself and others and should not be taken lightly. I think it's interesting at this point, folks, to point out that this AI, this machine learning, that ultimately all AI comes from the minds of human beings, that right now this human-created AI system shows an acknowledgement of morality, which I think is unusual because if you follow the tenets of Darwinism and Marxism, there are no grounds for morality. But anyway, ChatGPT goes on to write, Existentialism is a philosophical and literary movement that emphasizes individual freedom, choice, and responsibility. It emerged in the 20th century in response to the widespread disillusionment and anxiety caused by World War II and the increasing mechanization of society. The tenets of existentialism can be summarized as follows. Existence precedes essence. This means that individuals are not born with a predetermined nature or purpose, but rather must create their own meaning through their choices and actions. Authenticity. Existentialists believe that individuals should strive to be authentic and true to themselves rather than conforming to societal expectations or following a predetermined path. Can't you just hear people today saying, this is my truth. Freedom and responsibility. Existentialists emphasize the importance of individual freedom and responsibility and believe that individuals must take responsibility for their own lives and choices. Angst and despair. Existentialists acknowledge the inherent anxiety, fear, and despair that comes with being human and living in an uncertain world. They believe that individuals must confront these feelings and find ways to cope with them. Death and mortality. Existentialists believe that awareness of our own mortality is a defining characteristic of human existence and that individuals must confront the inevitability of death in order to live fully. Absurdity. Existentialists acknowledge the absurdity and irrationality of the world and believe that individuals must confront and accept this in order to find meaning and purpose in their lives. Individuality. Existentialists emphasize the importance of individuality and uniqueness and believe that each person must find their own path in life. My friend, is this all sounding very familiar? Existential crisis. Existentialists believe that individuals often experience a crisis of meaning and purpose and must confront this in order to find their own sense of meaning and purpose in life. Existentialism and art. Existentialists believe that art is a powerful way to explore and express the human condition and that art can help individuals confront and cope with the challenges of existence. Existentialism and religion. Existentialists often reject traditional religious beliefs and institutions and instead emphasize the importance of personal spiritual exploration and experience. So Chris Stevens' approach to life leaves you on your own in an existential angst, trying to make some sense out of an absurd world. This crisis of meaning and purpose leaves you with a sense of absurdity and irrationality of this world. The existential person will wind up feeling sluggish in life. My friend, anything is better than the dead calm of indifference. I can build a strong case that most Americans have crept over into the philosophical approach to life of atheistic existentialism, which is nothing but a nihilist who comes to the edge of their existence and can't live with the sense that nothing matters and there is no God or moral power beyond. So they pull back from the abyss of destruction and navigate through life as an existentialist. If we are truly Christians, we walk this path of life always on the verge of slipping into a mindset of existentialism where it's possible that we become so utterly weary of deadness and unholy calm 
that we long for any visitation from God which would move us into action. My friend, do you ever long for God to so move in your life that the fragrances of God's divine grace would flow from the fruit of the Spirit's garden of life through you? If we really know Jesus and have received the seal and gift of His Holy Spirit, then, my friend, we are infused with His Holy Spirit who manifests Himself in our lives and the divine life qualities the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. We've talked about this on previous podcasts. The fruit of the Spirit, though, is more than just divinely enhanced personality traits. It is the grace of God at work in our souls and living spirits, which ultimately finds its way into the lives of others. Graces unexercised are a sweet perfume slumbering in the cups of the flowers of God's garden. The fruit of the Spirit are the characteristics that Christians should exhibit in their daily lives as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, which reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. If we are to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God, it will be grounded in the keeping of the heart, which is the great work of a Christian, in which the very soul and life of true religion commissioned by God consists and without which all other duties are of no value in the sight of God. But being religious is not the same as keeping your heart. The pains and labors which many persons have undergone as they carry out their religious acts are of no value and will not result in real good in the end. Many wonderful services have been performed by sincere people, which God in the end will utterly reject. They will not stand on record because the performers took no care to keep their hearts with God. This is that fatal rock on which thousands of vain professors dash and ruin themselves eternally. They are exact about the externals of religion, but regardless of their hearts. How many hours have some professors, and by professors I mean people who have said with their mouths that they are Christian, how many hours have they spent in hearing, praying, reading, and conferring, and yet, as to the main end of religion, they might as well have sat still and done nothing. The great work, I mean heart work, being all the while neglected. Here is a good question to challenge the thinking of ourselves and others in order to diagnose if we are in jeopardy of falling into the category of a vain professor, into existentialism. The question, when did I shed a tear for the deadness, hardness, unbelief, and earthliness of my heart? Do I think my easy religion can save me? If so, my friend, we must invert Christ's words and say, Wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to life, and many and many there be that go in by that broad way. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ and not religious practices. If we are trying to approach God through a zealous religion apart from an eternally transforming relationship with Jesus Christ, we are self-deluded and hypocritical. We have put off God with heartless duties. We have acted in religion as if we have been blessing an idol. We are left powerless to search our hearts and regulate it, and exercise it in our performances. A religion that leaves us without an eternal standing before the coming Lord. If we are found to have just been religious, one day we will bow our heads in shame before Him, as He pronounces us as a pretentious, false-hearted person. How could we profess religion and so often tell God that we loved Him, when we knew in our consciences that our heart was not with Him? My friend, we should tremble to think what a fearful judgment it is to be given over to a heedless and careless heart. And my friend, as I say those words, I understand 
These are hard sayings. These are some difficult things to get our minds around. But my friend, we must come to the truth that there are many people walking in our midst who claim to know Christ with their mouth, and yet they lead a life from a heedless and careless heart. Unless the people of God spend more time in pains about their hearts than they ordinarily do, they are never likely to do God much service or to possess much comfort in this world. What Patriarch Jacob said of his son Reuben may be said of the Christian who is negligent and careless in keeping their heart. Think about this. He told his son Reuben in his final blessings on his deathbed, you shall not excel. My friend, it is grieving and culturally destructive to see how many Christians there are who live at a poor, low rate, both of service and comfort, and go through the ups and downs of life dejected and complaining. But how can they expect it to be otherwise while they live so carelessly? How little of their time is spent in the prayer closet, in searching, humbling, and opening up their hearts? Christian, you may feel that your heart is dead or has suffered a great setback, but why do you wonder that that sense of death is the way you feel if you keep it apart from the fountain of life, which is a metaphor for life in close fellowship with Jesus? If your body had been dieted as your soul has, that would have been dead too. The hard pill to swallow in order to eradicate a laissez-faire attitude toward keeping your heart is to realize that you can never expect that your heart will be in a better state until you take more pains with it. Song of Solomon 1.6 says, They made me take care of the vineyards, but I have not taken care of my own vineyard. If our goal in life is to keep our hearts and focus on the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and to be a showcase for the fruit of the Spirit from God's holy garden and heart work, we must jettison engagement in fruitless controversy started by Satan for the very purpose of taking us off from practical godliness, to make us puzzle our heads when we should be inspecting our hearts. Worldly cares and encumbrances have greatly increased the neglect of our hearts. Let me say that again. Worldly cares and encumbrances have greatly increased the neglect of our hearts. The heads and hearts of multitudes have been filled with such a crowd and noise of worldly business that they have undesirably declined in their zeal, their love, their delight in God, and their heavenly, serious, and profitable way of conversing with men. How miserably have we entangled ourselves in this wilderness of trifles? Our conversations, our meetings, and our very prayers are tinged with it. We have had so much to do without that we have been able to do but little within. And how many precious opportunities, therefore, have we lost? How many admonitions of the Spirit have passed over unfruitfully? How often has the Lord called to us when our worldly thoughts have prevented us from hearing? But there certainly is a way to enjoy God even in our worldly services. If we lose our views of Him when engaged in our temporal affairs, the fault is our own. How sad it is that Christians should stand at the door of eternity, having more work on their hands than there is time sufficient for, and yet our heads and hearts being filled with trifles. And my friend, this podcast is like all of my podcasts, which are meant to cause us to be stimulated to analyze our own hearts. It's not a checklist that we are to use against other people, so keep in mind the angle and the whole approach I'm coming from. This is to cause us to ask ourselves, God, is it me? Is it me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer? Am I the guilty party? Am I, have I crossed over into existentialism? Am I truly seeking God with all of my heart and focusing every bit of my being on Him and constantly evaluating the condition of my soul, my CPU, my inner core? 
May we be those who are found diligent to study our hearts, watch our hearts, keep our hearts. May we be those who have done away with fruitless controversies and all idle questions, away with empty names and vain shows, away with unprofitable dialogue and bold censures of the heavens, and turn in upon ourselves that this day, this hour, that we would resolve to do so. And my friend, this term, bold censures of heaven, it is time for the church of Jesus Christ to stop pointing the finger to all of the people's fallibilities and foibles that they commit in their walk towards the kingdom, their walk towards heaven. Because, my friend, if every one of us were to undergo the public microscope of God's scrutiny, none of us would be left with a clear face. We would be red-faced. We would be ashamed. We would be sad. We would be grieved. And so, dear friend, as we talk about all this today, it's with the understanding not to point the finger, and I've said this in a previous episode, about the, the foibles and the conditions of other people. Is that to say that we don't speak to sin and what is sin, what is not sin, and to give clear definition that we understand what is right and what is wrong? Yes, of course we are to do so, but not for the grievous and slanderous accusations to take other Christians down. It's wrong. Yes, the Bible clearly says that judgment will begin with the household of God, and my friend, that's happening right now, but it should grieve our hearts. We should not celebrate when we see people of great stature in God's kingdom falling. May we be those who are found diligent to study our hearts, watch our hearts, how right it is to step aside often to talk with God in our own hearts, that we would not allow any trifling thing to divert us, that we would keep a more true and faithful account of our own thoughts and affections, that we would seriously demand of our own heart at least every evening to say, Oh, my heart, where have you been today? And what has engaged your thoughts? My friend, make that a practice before you go to bed at night, to say, Oh my heart, where have you been today? And what has engaged your thoughts? And with that, my friend, I bid you peace.